Welcome back to Finding Relisha. Last time I told you about the environment in which Relisha was surrounded by. Now I'm going to introduce you to the life she had at the shelter and the host of unsavory characters who were around there. Before I do that, I want to first share this video recorded of Relisha while she was still at the shelter. It'll make you laugh and smile and it will help you to understand that amazing little personality her family described for us in the first episode. R-E-L-I-S-H-A. R-E-L-I-S-H-A. That's a nice name. I like that name. So, how old are you? How old are you? How did this get in front of me? Oh, that's recording yourself. Let's go put it up on there. Sometimes you can, but sometimes the sound is better where you are than where the camera is. So can I ask you a question or two? How old are you now? Eight. You're eight. That's a good age to be. And if I say a couple sentences to you, can you say them back? Huh? You, I'm going to say something. I want you to repeat it to Danielle. Could you do that for me? Yeah? Okay. All right, here we go. So whatever I say, you tell to Danielle. Okay? Hmm? So you say, we live with our families. We live with our families. Uh-huh. That's nice. I like the way you said that. Okay, can you say that? Now I want you to look at Danielle. And tell Danielle, we live with our families. We live with our families. Oh, but I can't see your face if you do that. Okay, we live with our families. We live with our families. But I need you to just look at Danielle, okay? Can you see her? Yes. Wait to Danielle. Wait to her, please. Yay. Okay. At the DC, now you're going to She's say to her. Now say to Danielle, at the DC General Family Shelter. The D at the DC Family Shelter. Okay, then look right at her and say, the DC General Family Shelter. The DC Family Shelter. Uh, DC General Family Shelter. Okay. Now, I want you to look at Danielle. And tell her there are 500 of us kids here. 500 of us F kids here. Okay, then I need you to take your hand down and look at Danielle and say to her, she doesn't believe it. You tell her she there are 500 of us kids here. She doesn't believe she is 500 kids in here. Okay, but you need to look at her. Do you see where she is? No. Can you see her on the TV set? What is the TV set? This mirror. You see her in the mirror? Mm-hmm. Okay. So can you tell her there are 500 kids so here? There are 500 kids here. For there are 500 kids here. Okay. All right. So now we're going to say, can you look at her and say, the shelter gives us a place to stay. Shelter gives us some place to stay. Nice. Can you tell that to her? The shelter give us some place to stay. <laughs> good. And now you say to her, and that's good. Say it louder. Say to her, and that's good. You on the screen. No, no. Dan Danielle's listening to you. So you tell her, say, and that's good. That's good. Okay. I can hear him laughing. Now I want you to say, all kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. That was funny the way you said that. But can you say it looking at Danielle? 
Can you look at Danielle and say, all kids need a place to play? All kids oh, need a place to play. Please, I need you to look here when you're talking. All kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to well, play. Well, I didn't see you that time. Let's try it one more time. All kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. Oh, but now you sound like you're angry. Are you angry? No, okay. So can you smile and say, all kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. That's wonderful. Now say it one more time, but look at Daniel. All kids need a place to play. All kids need a place to play. Okay, I like that. Okay. It helps us learn. It helps her win her. Okay, you have to look at her. Okay. Where's Daniel? Right Where? on the mirror. Okay, so can you look at her on the mirror? And say, it helps us learn. It helps us learn. It helps us learn. It helps us learn. Okay, we're going to pause for a second. And I think, I think we're done. Relisha, who sometimes called the stuffy, echoey shelter the trap house, or the G, hated it there. According to relatives, she would tell them that it was infested and the food ain't good. Not only was the food not good, but some of the people there weren't either. The shelter, which houses hundreds of children and adults, is managed by the Community Partnership for the Prevention of Homelessness. The facility's rules prohibit social interaction between employees and residents. But the residents that were interviewed had said that the ban was regularly flouted in particular by a man named Khalil Tatum. According to the Washington Post, a 22-year-old resident of the homeless shelter named Yolanda Manning saw Khalil Tatum as he tried to give her four-year-old daughter $2. Manning was celebrating her daughter's birthday in the cafeteria, and her maternal instincts just kind of bristled. If you're a mom, you, you get what this is. You get that feeling where it's like you know something's off. And in this instance, she did. Miss Manning said the nature of the incident really stood out to her because she didn't know this man, like, at all. Like, he was 100% a stranger to both her and her child, yet here he was just trying to give her some money. You can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as someone trying to do a nice gesture to make a child feel loved and accepted and happy in this place that she's forced to live. Or you can look at it the way this mother saw it and she didn't like it. She told Tatum that her child couldn't accept the money. But she wasn't the only one with a complaint. Several other mothers said that Tatum had offered money to their young daughters, though never to their sons. And all of this was done in plain view of the staff members. During a conversation I had with Relisha's Aunt Ashley, she actually kind of elaborated on the staff members and how they acted at this point in time a little bit for me. I also felt that as my sister being in a homeless shelter with her kids, I felt that it could have been more research, uh, resources out here to be provided to her. I really honestly don't know all her situation as far as the housing and things, but I feel that they could have did a better job with housing, not just with my sister, but with all the other families, I feel that they could have did better checks and uh, better everything just on everybody that's, that was in the shelter. Um, 
it's just a lot that I feel really could have been done different for them families, not just for them families, mm-hmm. but in the case of Relisha and my sister and her siblings. I honestly felt, and to be 100, I really felt like the shelter felt every family that was there. I felt that way because, yes, they have programs out here, but them programs, majority of them programs that they offer is only 12 months, which Mm -hmm. is a year. And then you're pretty much on your own or you're back in the shelter I honestly feel like so it wouldn't be no more cases like my nieces or any other missing kids. Mm -hmm. I feel that these families that don't have and really cannot provide, I feel that they could do better and put a little more um, effort written and in stone to protect them families and to make sure them families have everything that they need so it would never be another case like remission. The residents had many complaints, especially about security. They said the 9.30 p.m. curfew is regularly ignored, staffing is often insufficient, broken surveillance cameras are not fixed, people smoke marijuana out front with impunity, and visitors and residents are not always asked to sign in or show identification. The mothers of D.C. General said that when they complained about these issues, Staff members either brushed them off or threatened to kick them out of the shelter. They threatened to kick them out because they were trying to make the place safer for their children. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute. An email response from the officials at the Community Partnership for the Prevention of Homelessness, which is the nonprofit agency contracted by the city to run the shelter, said that the shelter management was unaware of any contact between Tatum and Relisha or her family, or any other families for that matter. An excerpt from this response states, quote, shelter staffs are prohibited from having contact with families outside of the responsibilities of their position, end quote. Yet it also notes that Tatum worked in a separate building, so why was he even over here where the kids lived at all? TCP, as the agency is often called, declined several requests seeking comment about the case with pretty much anybody that wanted to talk to him. All questions ended up being referred to the city's Department of Human Services, who then provided an email containing responses it said was from TCP officials. In the case of Tatum, TCP staff appeared to have ignored the agency's rules. According to a TCP fraternization policy memo from August, Employees are prohibited from starting personal relationships with residents while they live at the shelter and for two years after they leave the shelter. That prohibition includes communicating with the client when the client is off duty, exchanging of gifts, communicating with the client on clearly non-job related issues while on duty, spending an inappropriately excessive amount of time with the client, developing a special friendship, and taking steps to be alone or isolated with the client. All of which are rules that Tatum allegedly violated. At the National Center for Children and Families, which serves a 1,000 people a year, family shelters in the district and Bethesda said to be highly unusual and totally unprofessional for a janitor to be engaging in that type of behavior. And it was absolutely outrageous. According to the center's executive director, 
quote, when there's a violation which happens around once a year, the employee is either terminated, suspended, or trained further, end quote. The shelter did perform a background check on Tatum, and that background check revealed that Tatum had a 20-year-old felony conviction. The agency's policy prohibits hiring for certain offenses involving children and having pending charges and other felonies within the past 10 years. With it being a 20-year-old nonviolent offense, I guess it was just overlooked. Several people have told the Washington Post that Tatum frequently offered the girls gifts, sometimes even $20 bills, and that he spent a lot of time with Relisha. As residents at the shelter reflected on the time spent with Tatum, things began to come to light. And this happens all too often when we sit and think on a situation after it's already taken place. Hindsight is always 2020. One woman that spoke out was named Sharon Woods, and she said her 11-year-old daughter got a pet turtle while living there. Tatum then showed the daughter pictures of his own turtles and promised to bring her an old tank she could use for hers. When the tank arrived, it was brand new. Sharon Woods said that she offered Tatum money for it, and he told her no. Later, he offered to give Woods some gravel and plants to put in the tank, to which she declined. This wasn't the last time he would overstep his bounds, though. Sharon Woods said her daughter later came to her with a $20 bill. And when she asked where it came from, the girl said that it came from Mr. Tatum. At this point, Woods confronted Tatum, and she told him that her daughter was only 11. She was too young to be taking that kind of money from a man. According to her, Tatum's response to this interaction was simply just to look at her and walk off. Other than his interactions with the residents at the shelter, little is really known about Tatum. But how did we get here in the first place? Like, when, where, how could things go so wrong? We need to go back and figure out how we got here. What happened to Relisha Rudd is ultimately a story about homelessness, and it's a story about how checking boxes writing reports, and cross-checking documents does not create a safe environment for children. So many people and systems have failed this little girl. Relisha and her brothers moved from apartment to apartment before they wound up living in a shelter for homeless families in D.C. There they met 51-year-old Khalil Tatum. Tatum had become such a trusted figure among Relisha's family at the shelter that she even called him God Daddy. Alicia wasn't like me. If she didn't trust you, she wouldn't go with you. Her mother called him her godfather. Yeah. And she never, whenever he did bring her back home, she never had a bad report to say about him. She never would report that he did anything strange to her or mm -hmm. he You know, he, it was always good things about him and his family. And I never got no red, red flags either. No bad signs mm -hmm. neither. So, you know, I mean, if people think I be protecting, no, I don't be protecting them. Like I told them, I cannot say anything bad about a person that I barely knew. That makes sense. Right. So for me to say, well, oh, yeah, this man did this, this man is like this. 
I would be lying because I didn't know the man. It'd be, you know, it'd be something different if I knew him for like some years yeah. down the line, but I didn't know him, not at all. Never laid eyes on the man until DC General. One thing I did learn after talking to Melissa was that the issue with Relisha and her siblings just being able to go anywhere with anyone actually started a long time before the shelter. Since Relisha was a baby, her mother trusted everybody with her kids. She was the opposite of me. I didn't do that. I trust nobody with mine. Mm -hmm. But Relisha's mom was the opposite. If they got on her nerves, come get the kids. Anybody, I don't care who come and get them. Just come get them. That's how she was. So, you know, it's it's not surprising to me that she trusted him with her daughter because I already know how free-handed she was with, with her children. That's just like whenever I had gotten Relisha and time I got to my daughter's house and Tatum would um, show up at her Aunt Ashley's house and I'd simply jump on the phone with her mother. Um, excuse me, you know, we just left with Relisha. Tatum said, you sent them here, is that so? That's how it always would go. I would go pick my granddaughter up. You know, it's my weekend to have grandma time. It got to the point where I had to make an appointment. The hospital turned homeless shelter was home to a horrible living situation. Despite its intended purpose as a sanctuary, the shelter is too often beset by dysfunction, decay, and disease. Sometimes it is the more than 460 children living there who suffer the most. Staff members charged with caring for and protecting families often preyed upon them. Among 14 complaints of staff misconduct since 2012 alone, residents allege that shelter employees have sexually assaulted them taken photos of them while they showered, offered them money for sex, involved them in illegal tax scams, and even fathered a child with one of them. The problems are worse than officials have publicly acknowledged. Living conditions are often so poor at the crumbling 90-year-old facility that residents suffer and are sickened or put at risk. The Washington Post found that nearly 30 people were taken to the hospital or were forced to get treatments for bites caused by spiders and other pests, for parasites, for rashes because of dirty showers, or for other problems at the facility over the past two years. Residents have gone days and sometimes even weeks without hot water or heat. The threat of violence lacks safety precautions and a lack of services have created an environment of fear and isolation. Police are called to the shelter frequently on reports of violence. The curfews regularly flouted. And, as residents have said, security cameras are broken and they don't get fixed. The contractor failed to perform reference checks on employees, and at times the city failed to properly monitor the shelter's operation. Documents have shown that residents complained about the inappropriate interactions from workers several times. Although one of the complaints were found to be baseless, the other outcomes are not reported, but records do show that the allegations resulted in TCP and its subcontractors firing at least seven workers and removing three others from the shelter. Most of these problems involved male staff members targeting female residents. 
Still, the misconduct continued, and I honestly can't help but wonder, had things like this been taken more seriously, would Relisha still be around? Could this tragedy, could this tragedy have been prevented? Could listening to the complaints and the signs and knowing what was going on there, could it have prevented anything? The case we are left with for Relisha is a beast. It is like solving a puzzle when you only have half the pieces. Trying to sort out how Relisha went missing is like sorting through a blur of contradictions. Her mother and grandmother each blame the other for having something to do with why no one has seen Relisha. Melissa Young has spoken to me on several different occasions and has given me the same account in every conversation in regards to the last time she saw and spoke to Relisha. Her story has never wavered. As of right now, as of this recording, I have yet to speak with Shamika. Next time on Finding Relisha. Next time on Finding Relisha, we will begin the deep dive into the confusing timeline of 18 days in which no one can account for where Relisha was or who she was seen with. If you have any information on Relisha at all or even think that there is a possibility that you might please reach out to us call metro pd at 202-727-9099 or you can send a text to the anonymous line at 50411 you may also contact the fbi at 1-800-CALL-FBI You may also dial 1-800-THE-LOST If you do not wish to contact law enforcement directly, please reach out by dialing non-law enforcement at 202-491-2327